Hi, everyone. My name is Sonia Nidger, and I am a lawyer at Ninestein. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Ninestein podcast, where we provide context, tips, and tricks when it comes to all things personal injury and medical malpractice. In this initial series of the podcast, we're exploring the accident benefit system in Ontario. Our guide and guest today is Sebastian Gallagher, an accident benefit specialist at Ninestein and all things SABS encyclopedia. Sebastian, can we start by talking a little bit about your own history and how you got into this line of work? Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, accident benefits for me, both personally and professionally, is, is very close to my heart. Um, I was involved in a significant car accident in, in 1993 and I was seriously injured and yeah. the accident benefits adjuster who assisted me in my recovery made a, such a huge difference in my life. Um, I was at a job, I was a young man, I was 23 years old and I was in a job I didn't like and my experience with my adjuster made me switch. You know, it, I fell in love with the industry because of what it did for me. It, it got me better and it gave me a career. Yeah, I've heard you say in the past that EB saved your life. It absolutely did. Yeah. We are lucky to have inherited the uh, expertise that you've gained over your, I think, 27 years 27 of experience. Years. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. So what we really wanted to do, Sebastian, as you know, in this series is really talk about the the larger AB framework, get into some of the more practical tips and parts of the system that maybe our clients, our peers, our colleagues don't know about or would like to know more about. But what we wanted to do first is really frame that discussion by talking about what the system is. We have a no-fault legislation in Ontario, no-fault accident benefit system, which I think is something that we hear all the time as a bit of a soundbite and maybe not a lot of people know what it actually means. So let's start there. What is a no-fault accident benefit system? Well, the genesis of no-fault started back around 1986. And you'll, you'll see a common theme with all the legislative changes that I'll briefly talk about this morning. There's a, a fairly common narrative. And that narrative is the insurance industry, the automobile insurance industry, asks the, the provincial government, whoever's in power, um, for help. They're concerned about profitability. They're concerned about rising legal costs. They're concerned about extension and the broadening of legal liability. Justice Osborne was charged with the task of trying to identify the unique issues that the insurance industry was complaining about and find a solution. And that solution was no fault. And no fault insurance coincided with the Canada-wide 1990 mandatory insurance. So it all part and parcel came in essentially together. So insurance became mandatory and no fault was a pillar of that mandatory coverage. And I guess before no fault, uh, a no fault system was implemented, what did it look like? What was insurance like in Ontario? That was the big issue with insurance industries. They were concerned that the courts were being burdened by lawsuits arising from automobile accidents and they're also concerned with accident victims having to wait for justice, whether it's through compensation. And that window of opportunity in terms of accessing benefits, getting better and getting on with their lives, that simply didn't exist prior to 1990. It was all litigation. And we all know in this industry, that window of opportunity in terms of the healing process is in the beginning. Right. So... Uh 
before you said 1986? Uh, yes. 1986. You are in an accident. You've been injured, whether it was your fault or not. The only way to get access to some kind of compensation to help in your recovery is to file a lawsuit. Correct. And if you were at fault, you had no access to recovery. None. Okay. So like you said, the theory of no-fault benefits and a no-fault system was a good one. Let's get these people help sooner in a system that's, I guess, less burdensome than a full litigation system, and let's get them on with their lives. So that's a good thing. Correct. Where are we at today? Well, this is a great timing. When you, when you proposed this topic, I was very excited about it because the timing is now. We have an opportunity as taxpayers of this province to really sort of voice our concerns and have a voice in the room because there's likely going to be yet another round of changes to auto insurance and history has proven any changes within that product is without question and without fear of contradiction is to the detriment of policyholders and accident victims. Tell us more about that. What do you mean by that? As an example, in 1990, no fault was in its infancy. Benefits were basic, but the spirit of it was, was correct. The automobile insurance were, were complaining again, saying they're not making enough money. They're losing money. And so what happened? Changes. So in 1994, the NDP created a more comprehensive no-fault program, which include a lot of benefits and heads of damages that normally are addressed in tort. And that only lasted a couple of years. And why? Once again, the insurance company asked the provincial government for help. They're losing money, product's not working for them, they need help. And of course, it doesn't matter which provincial government or where you lean politically, every single party in this province has had their crack at no-fault insurance. And every single one of them, if you're thinking the eyes of the insurance industry, have failed. But it hasn't failed. The only thing that's failed is the provincial government listening to a one-way narrative on the product. Right. So when you say that, you mean the policyholders and, in effect, taxpayers, uh, their voices have not been heard in this system in terms of these changes to the legislation and the concerns brought forth by the insurance company, which seem, from my conversations with you, seem to be always about kind of one thing, which is their bottom line. And the odd thing about automobile insurance in this province in particular is government takes an active role in the profitability of a private industry, right. in this case, automobile insurance. So if that's the case, if they are two, you know, two people, let's, let's consider them people, the automobile insurance companies and the government. Well, we as taxpayers should have a bigger voice. There has to be more dialogue and more scrutiny of the narrative given by the automobile insurance industry because it's the same narrative every single time. Sebastian, we've talked a little bit about how we have an opportunity right now to affect some change in the system. Can you tell us what you mean by that and what your sort of call to action is? The reason why it's so important for all of us to be made aware and demand participation in this process, because the last two changes in September 2010 and June 2016 have been drastic and punitive. And once again, the insurance industry promised premium reductions in exchange for that drastic and punitive reductions. Not once did they ever achieve that goal. And with the September 2010 changes, the Liberal government quickly said that the 15% rate reduction was never going to be achieved. 
And yet they continue to promise it. Yet they continue to promise it. <laughs> okay, so when you say drastic and punitive, what you really mean is that there were cuts, significant cuts to benefits, the quality of those benefits, the access to those benefits, and a disproportionate, um, I would say even, isn't it correct to say a rise in premiums? Like haven't we been paying more premiums every year? Yes. Yeah. And there's been plenty of independent studies that reveal that. And if you, you need only look to the insurance industry's own numbers that confirm it, the reality is premiums have gone up. As an example, in 2017 to 2019, insurance premiums went up 20%. You have to sort of put that in perspective in terms of the product. They're not spending money on benefits because of the changes. They're saving money. They're saving millions of dollars. I'm not good at math, but even I can tell that that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> and again, we as taxpayers have to have a voice. Here's a question for you, and, and maybe it's one that goes back even further before the 1986 changes. Have we ever had a voice? That's a great question. And I want to say no, yeah. not to the extent in terms of the proportion of people and, you know, called stakeholders. So the government has a show of creating sort of a body of people to provide their expert commentary on how to fix the system. Well, that expert commentary commentary is always insurance driven and the narrative is always insurance driven. We've never had an equal voice in this room. We've never had an equal voice in any of the changes. And we've never once reaped the benefits and the promise that the insurance industry has given every respective government in exchange for those changes. Right. And that needs to change. It is incumbent upon us to contact our member of parliament and voice our concerns because the timing is now and it can't be the one-way narrative. And the narrative is always the same. It's fraud. The administrative costs, and now it's the cost of repairs because of the technology that is associated with new vehicles. Right. And whenever a legislative change is enacted, a committee is, is formed to come up with, you know, creative solutions. So, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating subject for, I think, those of us who are in the industry and see these nuances on a day-to-day -day basis. I think for our clients in particular, and for those who ha unfortunately have to access the, their policies because they need help and they need assistance in their recovery, it can be very difficult to understand these nuances and understand that, you know, they've paid their premiums diligently because they had to. And when something happens, they expect, I think, fairly that they will be helped. And when they're not, it's very difficult to understand why. And from my perspective in, you know, dealing with the system in, in the way that we have at, at our firm, it seems like the system is purposefully complicated and maybe, you know, willfully um, designed in a way that it's difficult to access or uh, the benefits that should be promised. And in fact, I think are promised often are abstracted in a way that is difficult for our clients to access without help. And 
I wonder if, you know, you have a comment on that. Is that, you know, we've been talking about the insurance companies sort of asking for this system and then complaining about it. How do they get away with then further abstracting the service that they've promised and contracted to promise to their consumers? How does how does that work? That's the very unique part of this product, this insurance product. It is a first party contract. And that what a first party contract essentially is, is a promise. Yes. It is a promise in, a, in an event, in this case, a car accident, that you will be taken care of. You being the insurance industry will help you recover and get on with your life. Right. That's the promise. And first party contracts universally, whether it's in the UK or the United States or anywhere else in the world, for the most part, it is interpreted broadly. And policy exclusions are construed narrowly and it's supposed to be inclusive. Right. That's that's the product. But that's not the delivery of the product. Product. It isn't because what happens is the insurance industry has never been held accountable for their own actions, for their own ability to just files. Because the team of people who came up with whatever no-fault legislation we're talking about, it presumes that the insurance industry is acting in good faith and that they are going to have their customer in mind when they're making any sort of claims decision. That is simply not the case. And there's a reason why no-fault insurance is complicated, it's because the insurance industry has made it that way. Right. It wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be quick, unfettered access to benefits, get better, and get on with your life. And unfortunately, it is a litigious process where the accident victim, and more importantly, the policyholder, is a pawn in that game. And there's a lot of finger-pointing going on here, and there's many fingers of blame here, but what seems to be immune from that blame is the automobile insurance industry. They have never once been held accountable for their own behavior. And they they always complain how complicated the process is, but they take no ownership as to why or how their adjusting of the product has affected that, has created that system. Right. And I think that's really the genesis of this series uh, of this podcast is we wanted to unpack that a little bit and really start the dialogue or continue the dialogue about this issue, uh, which impacts so many people. I mean, technically, it impacts every taxpayer who has a mandatory policy, which is a significant amount of, you know, our provincial population and, and the, the population generally in Canada. So it's it's definitely a worthy topic. And and uh, we're lucky that we have your insights and your experience to really unpack this more. We will be back with another episode to really start peeling the onion uh, on this issue. And thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. <laughs>